unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Nathan. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. And for the listeners that don't know, we've got a special surprise for him today. Oh, we sure do. Let me start by telling you what the reminding you what the episode's called. It's called Your Chance to Advertise on TV. That's a big deal if you want to scale your business fast. But let me give a little background about the company and then our special guest, and then we'll introduce him and then we'll get right down to it. So there's a company called Simul Media in New York. It's been around about 10 years. It's in New York and LA. And it helps businesses use TV advertising to get better results by bringing in data analytics. Now, Simul Media recently launched a marketplace it calls D2, letter D, number two, letter C, letter X. And this marketplace is especially interesting for direct marketers who want to reach consumers on TV without having to jump through all the hoops that you used to have to jump through to advertise on TV. I reached out to Matt Collins and invited him to come on the Copywriters Podcast to explain this. Now, let's be honest, some listeners, some of you are not yet ready for TV, but I'm pretty sure some of you will embrace the opportunity since it's unmatched as an opportunity to scale your business. And now you can do a lot more targeting and and Matt will confirm this, but I think there's going to be some metrics available in the future that have never been available before. So it actually starts to sound like what we're used to. So let me introduce Matt Collins. He's Senior Vice President of Marketing at Simul Media in New York. Previously, and this is especially interesting to me, he was VP of Marketing and Communications at Ampush, A-M-P-U-S-H, in San Francisco, which was involved in big-time Facebook marketing. Uh, maybe he'll tell us a little bit about that. So he knows the, the digital online world, too, is the reason I brought that up. And before we start, I'd like to give everyone a message that no one will mistake for marketing. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance, business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Now that we've got that out of the way, Matt, let's start at square one. And again, thanks for taking time from your busy schedule to do this. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, David. Thanks for having me. Sure. So why don't we start with a rapid tour of your background, especially in terms of things that would be recognizable, like like Facebook, like performance marketing, things like that to direct marketers and direct marketing copywriters. Yes. Uh, I'll try to keep this as brief as I can. I have been in technology marketing in one form or fashion for the last going on 20 years. I got my undergraduate degree from a small liberal arts college in Massachusetts called Amherst College. And I got my MBA from Indiana University's Kelly School of Business. And from there, launched into Uh, technology marketing, starting in the video game space for seven plus years where I was doing consumer marketing before moving really into, I think, the first very squarely digitally native 
environment when I joined Nokia mm-hmm. back in uh, the mid 2000s. And this was at a time when Nokia had a commanding market share position in the smartphone business and really was the first uh, platform to offer up uh, mobile applications for a smartphone environment for smartphone users. And so I got involved in developer marketing, partner marketing to help bring those applications to consumers and help to drive users and usage of those applications. And that, of course, was the first, my first real exposure to really the power of digital channels, social channels, and mobile channels, and how crucial they were for driving mobile application uh, user growth. Uh, from there, I, I was I was there through the rise and the fall, I suppose, of Nokia into its acquisition by Microsoft. Uh, I did not want to move my family to Redmond, and so I, from there, joined Ampush, which David, you rightly characterized as a performance marketing, Facebook marketing partner, capital F, capital M, capital P, meaning it's a part of a program in which Facebook provides API access to its platform. Let me let me uh, do a little translation for people who haven't already figured it out. We got some pretty smart people, so they probably almost all figured it out. But performance marketing is like A/B split testing. It's like which ad worked better, how well did it work, what's my ROI, what's my conversion rate. That's those are the questions. Performance marketing, and and tell me if that's right. I, I think it is. Are concerned with or. Uh, and and those are exactly the same questions direct marketers are concerned with. That's correct. It's the A-B testing that you describe is a tool in the arsenal. But the thing that they're measuring at the end of the day, which makes performance marketers different from many other species of marketers, is that they are relentlessly focused on an actual business metric like sales or registered users. They're not focusing as much on things like brand uplift uh, or more top of funnel metrics, and so really, my my time at Ampush, and which has since translated over to Simul Media, has been very much focused on understanding the requirements of marketers and everyone involved in the marketing enterprise who has to achieve a meaningful, measurable outcome from the media that they place in the universe. Well, that's just about everyone who listens to this podcast because we have a very strong focus on direct response marketing and results. And I'm, it's, you know, it's lucky and, and rare, I would say, that I found you because, I'll, well, just to be blunt about it, and I, I think in our earlier Get Ready conversation, we already talked about this, an awful lot of people still in the advertising industry, the ad agency industry, the television advertising business are focused on things like brand uplift and share of mind and focus groups and things like that, which um, don't put money in the bank. Um, yeah. No, you're right. They don't. And but But I think some of that is just a product of inertia. I don't think there are many marketers out there who would walk back from the opportunity to get a more meaningful metric on how their media performs. But I think that many people believe that it's not possible. And even if it was, it would take too long and cost too much. Okay. So now let's talk about D2CX. What's that and how does it work? D2CX.com is a marketplace that is designed for advertisers who have a customer acquisition objective. 
who are trying to grow their business. And when I say grow their business, I'm typically meaning growing the number of customers or users they have for their product or service and growing the amount of usage or how much they consume once they're acquired. It is uh, in its marketplace dynamic in bringing together the buy side advertisers and the sell side, the networks who offer up the inventory. It, it's not only different or unique in its target focus on this performance marketer, it's also unique in my experience in the lower threshold to entry that it creates for an advertiser to get on television. You're, you're talking it, about the spend, right? You're talking about how much it costs, the threshold, yes? Correct, yes. So what's the typical threshold um, before D, D2CX? What's a typical minimum spend? It's not uncommon for a traditional agency to suggest that in order in order for them to take enough interest in a company's business to justify putting a team behind it to do planning and targeting and dealing with the sell side, which is still done in a you know in a in a, in a more by digital standards, old-fashioned way, mm-hmm. it's not uncommon for an agency to say, "Look, you got to pony up a hundred thousand dollars per week to make this really worth our while." And advertisers who've never tried television or who have gotten accustomed to testing a channel at lower price points before they go all in, many of them walk away, and that's before they even think about the cost of building the commercial which can add quite a bit more to the expense. Right. I mean, um, I'm thinking of a, a couple of things. Um, one is I have a client. He has a, a run rate of $25, $30 million a year. And he, he was spending 600000 a month on uh, CPA, cost per acquisition ads. And this is the kind of thing he might or might not want. But if he, if he had to commit to 100000 a week just to test it, uh, that's that's... You know, even even to be on network TV and cable TV, that might might be a lot. The other thing is, okay, so I have a friend who has an insurance program. It's a health insurance program as a viable alternative to Obamacare, um, especially for business owners. Is so? Is D two CX? Would that be an ideal platform for him to explore? I think it certainly could be. It's an ideal platform for people to explore who already have adopted a test, learn, scale mentality to how they think about every channel they invest in, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, who have the expectation that all media must be performing media, and that three is held ultimately to a cost per user acquisition metric. And okay. if an advertiser meets those criteria, our proposition or the proposition of D2CX.com is that it's a, it's a marketplace can, that can help them get a read on whether television advertising can work for their business. Okay. And, and of course, that's really the first question anyone should want to have answered if they're going to get into it. I mean, no, no matter how much bragging rights it gives you to say, hey, you know, we're on Fox News or we're on CNN or we're on AXS or whatever that you say, you know, it's, it's not going to do them much more than bragging rights if it's not an ideal situation. Secondly, what's the minimum spend for D2CX? Where, where can someone 
uh, get their foot in the door with in terms of their initial investment? The initial investment, David, that we recommend is $50,000 for an initial test campaign. And that $50,000 is pegged to uh, what it costs to reach a significant volume of people. Uh, in this case, it would hit around that, at that investment level with, our, with the buying power that D2CX's marketplace brings. It would, uh, uh, it would get your ad in front of roughly 15 million people, uh, a total of between 30 and 35 million times. And that, in our experience working with direct-to-consumer brands such as Betterment, Casper, Peloton in the past, mm-hmm. it's, you, you need that kind of bulk, that kind of payload of audience reach to get a read on whether it's significantly driving an increase or a change in website traffic. And our hypothesis is that most of D2C companies who have born, been born and raised in digital and social and mobile have a pretty good handle on their funnel. And if we can drive more consumers through television into that funnel, then the beauty of their customer experience can take over. And with a delivery of 15 million people are exposed to an ad, enough of them can click through to a website to take some action for an advertiser to get a read on whether television is working. Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm sure that the the right people listening to this are going to say, wow, finally, you know. Now, in terms of tracking results, I understand now this whole idea of performance-based marketing on TV is still sort of in its infancy compared to where it's going. You you mentioned when we talked earlier that there may be some new third-party applications on the horizon, um, not too distant future from now, for analyzing traffic, especially those metrics that direct marketers are interested in, cost per acquisition, percentage of conversion, those those kind of things. Could you talk about um, what you foresee happening in the future? What I foresee happening in this space, David, is a, 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 first of all, a, a broader understanding of measurement options and how to think about television, both as a standalone channel, but also as a channel that impacts the health and performance of other channels. And there are really two lenses with which to consider that performance of television. There are the short-term effects of television. You and I, I'm sure, are alike in one way, at least, uh, aside from some Michigan roots, which we've just learned about. Very important. Go blue. Maybe next year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first is that we've almost certainly seen an ad that intrigued us in some form or fashion. With our phones and our pockets are nearby, uh, we've probably, within a matter of minutes, taken out our phones to look up a product or a company that's been advertised to us. Sure. That is a classic short-term impact that we can measure whether through Google Analytics or a proprietary pixel or cookie we can place on a website. Uh, we, we first work with companies that participate to help them set a baseline of web traffic on any given day or hour of the day. Mm-hmm. And with either Google Analytics or a pixel, uh, we can know when the ad on TV uh, lands and then all web traffic that falls within five-minute window of that ad firing that rises above the baseline or norm 
we feel confident attributing to the impact of the TV. Wow, five minutes. So, That's interesting. Yeah. Which is now you're you've you've had plenty of experience, David, in media, and you would be right at this point to say, I've always thought of TV as the long play, as mm-hmm. that 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 investment that we make in the top of the funnel to build brand awareness and to change longer term behavior. And you're not wrong to think that way. Television is a powerful ally for marketers who need to make that kind of impact. And it's why it's also possible to measure the long-term effects of television, which you would simply imagine, at least at first, is how does that baseline that we said in the beginning, how does that grow or change over time as more and more people uh, are exposed to the ad? And, and, and with that comes a point of view that we're developing. And I think to your original question, will also develop broadly in the industry of how do how does television or any media placement affect our search performance or our social performance yeah and then maybe you mentioned this but i i didn't hear it um there's another thing and maybe this is just a brand awareness or brand something or other but <clears throat> there's there's an incredible i don't use the word incredible here there's an awesome credibility and legitimacy that is conferred upon someone by being on TV. Um, now, if you're an old journalist like me, you're going to say, well, if they paid for it, it's not exactly the same as if they were covered. And if you're a PR person, you say, well, <laughs> yeah, they, they paid for it either way. But nevertheless, <laughs> when, when people see you on TV, you know, it's like all of a sudden you're real or something like that. You're, you, you, it's, a, it's a different level of, legitimacy that that certainly must be i don't know how in the world you could measure that but that must be true as well don't you think i do i was thinking about this the other day i was having a conversation with a very good friend of mine who is uh now is runs his own sort of solo consultancy but in his in in his previous lives he served as a creative director for a handful of agencies and and I worked with him very closely back in my video game days for producing TV commercials. And we were talking about this interesting, to me, phenomenon of talking to many direct-to-consumer brands that are growing fast and looking at television. And many of them have already cut quality video that they run on their website or they publish to YouTube. And how many of them look at what they've already done and are asking themselves the hard question, is this video that I've already created, is it TV ready? And it's almost like these brands are getting ready to step out of um, going to a friend's house for a birthday party on a weekend and are getting dressed for like a ball or some formal event. And I think that stance of how does a brand really make their best first impression is in fact met by an expectation by the consumer watching that the brands are putting their best foot forward and only the, this is all 100% premium inventory. We don't talk, thankfully, about fraud on linear television or at, at parts of the screen that are not viewable on linear television, the stuff that comes over the, the digital bunny ears or the, the cable set-top box. Mm-hmm. It's all premium. And the customers, I th- or the viewers, I think, understand that. And brands understand that. And so the, 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 the overlap of all of that uh, premiumness is a halo that you, I think, describe very well. Well, thanks. So you know, especially for the copywriters out there, and, and I know this isn't exactly your area, but you probably know people whose area it is. I mean, 
if if someone wants to do this without an agency, how does a copywriter do this, and how how do you know if if the video you've put together or even a video you've envisioned is going to be good enough for premium TV advertising placement? The, you know, the creative production process, which certainly involves copy, copywriting plays a critical role in helping to deliver message, messages, even those that may rely more heavily on the visual component. Uh, that creative production process is absolutely central to uh, delivering something that a, an, a brand can be proud of. I recommend to advertisers that are just dipping their toe in the water to 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 take as much control over the inputs to that process as possible and those inputs include number 1 what is the what is the thing that you're that you most need to communicate what's the message that if you you know if you count on the fact that your audience has a very short term memory what's that one message that absolutely must break through in order for uh, you to feel satisfied that you've 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 had a fair shake in that 15 or 30 second TV commercial to make a positive impression. Mm-hmm. Um, then what are the what's the tone? What kind of personality do you want to come through in that message? What else do you, what can you te- what can you say about or know about the customer who's watching based on other data points you might have about your your user? If you have a persona that you've crafted or worked on, that can be very helpful. And then uh, the good news is that there, it's never been easier to find both creative resources who can bring copywriting in this context to the table, as well as uh, helping to craft the, the story or the narrative that captures that key message that must come through. And then uh, to pair that creative resource with really terrific production help that can then go through the effort of casting and finding the right location if you're doing a live shoot or helping with animation if that's the route that you choose. But to me, it begins with uh, taking as much control through some sort of a creative brief or other project brief of what is it that you want to say and to whom. Yeah, so it's it's definitely a step up. And of all the things you mentioned about an ad, I think the one thing it's important in print, it's important in digital, but I think it carries a larger proportion of importance in TV, and that's tone. Uh, TV is a very experiential medium. It's a really a much more emotionally received medium than than print or um, online. Not that those aren't, but I mean, TV it just it, it absorbs you, right? It it envelops you. Uh, do you agree? I do. And I would just simply say that most viewers, when they're tuning on the television, expect to be entertained. And so that and that may not be the case when we open up the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. It may not be the case when we're on ESPN.com or our favorite websites or apps. Uh, But when we're watching television, uh, the the, the sort of now cliche uh, framing of our behavior is it's a lean back moment rather Mm -hmm. than a lean forward. And uh, the context, no matter who's watching or what we're watching, is entertainment, generally. Even when we're watching a documentary, something that might be good for some part of our brain, we expect to be entertained. And so you're right. There is 
I think a, a even more in, important that that advertisers think through not only what they want to say, but how they want to say it when they think about TV advertising. Well, let me drag you ringside to the oldest fight in advertising, which in copywriting, which is, are you trying to win? What do they call them? Clio's? Is that right? The the, the awards for. For clever oh, I, you you may very well be right. I, I between Cleos and Obies and others, I, I, I yeah. But let's just say you're right. Okay, uh, are you trying to win that, or are you trying to win customers? And it actually, what I've concluded is, it is quite possible to create an entertaining ad that generates leads and sales right away, and it's it's really threading the needle. It's it's hard and it's different than what you do in print. Um, but I, I think to any copywriters who have some background in entertainment, hi, Nathan, as, especially separate from writing copy or, or doing marketing, there's a real advantage there, right? Oh, there is. And you're right. You can absolutely thread the needle and it's important that you try. I think most TV commercials, if you really take a step back and think about them, the ones, even your favorites, they do one of two things. They either celebrate a product, a brand, or a service, or they celebrate the consumer who is the sort of the archetypal user of that product or service. Yeah. Uh, but both of them have in common, generally speaking, the best ones that we can think of. They entertain us and they stick with us such that even sometimes years after the fact, we can remember who, who is behind that commercial. Yeah, that's good. Now, I it just I just remembered that you you played an integral part in helping Dollar Shave Club go from a, a you know gangling uh, scratchy startup to a major advertiser, major influence. Is that right? That was a uh, that was an Ampush uh, achievement. But yes, Ampush uh, happened to intersect with Dollar Shave Club not long after they really broke ground. Uh, and, th and thinking, by the way, of television advertising for a direct-to-consumer brand, I think many people think of Dollar Shave Club in that original spot as the godfather of this, of this category. Uh, and talk about celebrating the, the customer uh, as it's with the CEO or the founder as a stand-in. Uh, most people who've, who've seen that commercial will never forget it. And yes, Ampush uh, was in the fortunate position of helping them scale on Facebook, but I'd submit that, uh, that, that, that the television advertising that they did very early on really helped to propel their performance on Facebook and other channels. Yes. Well, from a copywriting point of view, I love what you say about celebrating, I'm paraphrasing here, the brand, the product, or celebrating the customer. And um, I'll give you my unlicensed psychologist view of companies and their marketing approaches. It's sort of like they're holding up one of those half silvered mirrors like you see in the you know uh, squat in the interrogation rooms and police procedurals and the narcissistic companies who have to celebrate themselves have the mirror turns towards themselves and the people can see through the mirror and they'll see the company the i would say more evolved smarter companies have the mirror turned towards the customer so they can keep, see the customer but the customer sees themselves when they look at the ad Spot on. Nathan, you have a question, right? I do. So as a copywriter, one of my biggest and most important roles is to overcome objections. And I have one objection that's just glaring to me right now that 
I'm thinking probably our listeners would probably be thinking as well. TV viewership is going down. More and more people are tuning out of legacy media and YouTube, Facebook, social media, internet in general, Netflix, uh, subscribe channels like that are are starting to um, take over the viewership. And I think recently Facebook released some data that they had been tracking on their users saying that between 13 and 25% of people watching TV, the dwindling number of people watching TV, out of that number that's reducing, 13 to 25% of those people are actually leaving television for the commercials and they're going to Facebook or they're going to YouTube and not even paying attention to the commercials. So my question would be, for a platform that's losing um, an audience and for a platform that, especially during the commercial breaks, there's evidence that they're losing more of that audience, why, what, would, what would be your, your way to overcome the objection for people like me that say, why would I pay fifty dollars to $100,000 to invest in a media that's losing attention when I can pay a lot less to invest in media that's gaining attention? Nathan, that's a terrific question. And it's, you're right. It's a question that's very commonly on the minds of advertisers who are getting to know television. Uh, the first thing that I would say is that the, uh, while it's unquestionably true that television ratings are declining, television viewership is declining much more slowly to the point of like 2 to 4% annually. The reason why ratings drop faster is the way that ratings points are measured. And without getting too insider baseball, uh, essentially uh, ratings can be distributed across multiple programs if viewers are flipping a channel from one show to another. A single viewer can give a rating point to multiple programs. Um, but there's less ch channel changing going on. There is more, to your point, during commercial breaks, because a lot of consumers are, in fact, uh, have their phones up. Um, and are doing other things, are multitasking while they're watching. However, I would say a couple of things. First of all, even among what are commonly thought of as harder to reach audiences in mass media, such as millennial audiences, um, they are still watching far more television. And I, when I say television, I mean uh, the, the stuff that comes over the, the set top box than they are. Uh, any kind of digital viewing, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Instagram video, Vimeo, to the point where, uh, according to Nielsen, the numbers will be somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half hours a day for a typical millennial user, uh, between two and two and a half hours a day, higher if they're parents, interestingly, and have kids at home, to about 45 minutes to an hour of digital video. So the consumption... Uh, the consumption data still suggests that traditional television holds a sizable uh, time advantage. So that's the first point. The second point I would mention is the ad load within those channels and the sustainability of those ad loads. So we've all been on YouTube uh, and, and have seen the number of ads that are skippable or that we might miss because we're just, we get distracted by another video in the feed. Uh, and so as a result, uh, digital video has a harder time, even with a growing audience, which you're absolutely right is happening, Nathan. It has a harder time in many ways being able to capture that audience. And I would point to 
Procter and Gamble's uh, uh, feedback on the video advertising it was placing on Facebook in feed and finding that on average, uh, viewers were watching less than two seconds of their video spots before their thumbs took over. The third thing to keep in mind as advertisers are sizing up the potential of television involves a, a, a reach a reach challenge that digital faces at an almost endemic level. Today, it will shock many people in this country to know that only about 80% of our population has access to broadband or smartphones on any given day. And that's, that data point comes from Pew Research. It means that one out of five of us doesn't have even the opportunity to consume an advertiser's message on Facebook or YouTube. Television, according to Nielsen, on the other hand, is, reaches 96.5% of the, of the U.S. population. And cable, as, as, it, as it is true even that subscribers are leaving cable, that the trend, the broader trends are down, more people in this country have access to a cable set-top box than they do washers and dryers. So though unquestionably viewership is declining uh, and that younger viewers are changing the landscape of how they view, that will have long-term impact on television as an industry. Uh, there are still a lot of built-in advantages to traditional television that advertisers uh, may have to work a little bit harder to get access to, but the, the data point is pretty clear that it's still a very strong place to perform. I'm just going to add, I went Black Friday shopping this this uh, last Thanksgiving, and I still saw tons of people loading big screen TVs into their carts. So I think that there's a little bit of uh, validity to what you're saying there. I hope so. Well, yeah, I, I do think there's no question that the, the market is going to change, but I think it would be a, a mistake to overlook what TV can do, given and given where we are and given its track record. Let me let me ask you a big macro question. So. Let's say, um, what's prime time on TV? That's seven to ten. Yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe seven to eleven. Seven to but eleven. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, so, so there's maybe one hour in there that be between uh, ten and eleven on the East Coast, seven to eight on the West Coast, when the entire country is in prime time. During that hour, could you give me a? ballpark guess of um, how many people are watching TV and how many people are online? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beg off on that because I'm, I, it's a data point I don't know. I can, we can do a little bit of homework on it. The network, the network side of it is uh, around 100 million people are watching on any given moment and, and prime time. At least that's one of the most recent data points that I saw, which is a pretty extraordinary number. Because of it's, you know, you still have this sort of water cooler moment. The 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 challenge that advertisers face, especially the more experienced ones, the ones who are way beyond testing and they know that TV works, the challenge that they face is that the number of viewers who exclusively watch prime time is way down. Well, uh, actually, that's part of a trend that's I think to advantage advantage to startups and small direct marketers and. Look, I know small direct marketers that have seven and eight figure annual revenues. So that's, but still, you know, compared to, I don't know, Amazon, they're pretty small. TV is very segmented and probably to be able to sell ads, the networks have to do extraordinary research in helping you find exactly if, because I think the direct marketers who listen to copywriters podcasts, they know their customers 
both statistically and you know um, what's the word psychographically values wise very well maybe even better than some of the corporate uh, advertisers you can pinpoint that pretty well these days with the, all the different cable channels right you can yes it's it's it is easier now than ever to go find what i would describe as a strategic audience as opposed to a age gender audience um on television and then figure out what they're watching that's certainly one of the benefits that simul media offers up to um to uh, many of its advertisers who again uh, these are a class of advertisers that have figured out a long time ago uh the tv works but they're trying to do TV more efficiently. And one way to do to be more efficient is to hit more of your target audience, your strategic target audience, uh, and, and, and uh, avoid spending on audiences that you really don't care to hit. Well, I know you guys do more than that, but if that's all you do, I know some of my folks are going to be interested in. For my last question, how do people, what's the next step to explore this? How do they get in touch? Where do they go? What do they do? They want I'll to. give a, yeah I'll give a couple options David I think the, sure. e, the easiest thing to do would go to d2cx.com as you said that's the letter D is in dog the number two the letter C is in cookie x.com that's the marketplace now we'll tell you that it's in beta and uh, the, a lot of the functionality that that I talked about uh, the marketplace t- functionality more and more of that functionality mm-hmm. is going to be surfaced on that website over the next several weeks. And so that as users come back to it, they will see that they're able to do more and more on their own. And we're going to hold their hands to help them actually figure out how to uh, structure and launch their very own very first TV campaigns. But in the meantime, they can go to d2cx.com. There are some simple instructions there on how they can sign up to receive more information on television advertising for uh, performance and direct-to-consumer direct marketers. And if they are so inclined, they could also tell us a little bit about themselves and uh, request a, a plan, which, which will soon be automated. But in the meantime, we will provide for them so that they can actually see what they can get for that initial test. And they can also email me directly. My email address I'm happy to give you here is uh, M, my first initial, M is in Matt, Collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S, at simulmedia.com. That's S. I-M-U-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. And I know you don't give out your email um, randomly, so I really appreciate that. You know, sometimes I've noticed in life when people sort of move up to the next level of status, um, their old friends, they, they're afraid or they're resentful or they're envious. I don't feel that way at all. And if anyone who listens to this podcast ends up on TV, I will just smile and say, I knew you when. <laughs> that's a generous, that's a generous, and by the way, totally appropriate thing to do. I mean, kudos to them because it is really? an exciting step up and, and, and a major milestone for most companies when it happens. I think so. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for making time. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is incredible information that I truly don't think we could have gotten anywhere else. And so, Many thanks. My pleasure, David. Thanks a lot. All right. Again, Matt, thanks for coming on. David, awesome interview. And uh, until next time, make sure you're checking out the Copywriters Podcast over at copywriterspodcast.com. And we'll catch you later. See you next week. 
Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast.